Jen Chloe and it's Jen Chloe's song so Courtney's taking it from her partner or is covering her partner um, and yeah then the two guitars against each other is I just I just love the sound of that and then their voices together but more, most of all of course it's um, the way that in which the lyrics are sung so plainly and said so said so plainly is a, is a thing that really stands out with that track yeah, and that the second track as well. I loved, I love so much about it. Um, it really surprised me. You know, the production at the beginning. Um, I really liked the sounds and you know the, the reverb that they used, the space that they created, and then all of a sudden that lead vocal came in and kind of took over the whole space. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's a really even the whole album. Um, that's by a band called Hijira, mm. and they made that album after a trip to Ethiopia where the lead singer is from. And so I think you can hear influences and like sounds from what would have been on that trip in the beginning. And then, yeah, the song kind of bursts into this really interesting like vocal guitar influence piece. But um, yeah, I picked that because I guess that's one of my favorite songs for when I need to keep a level head or just remember that things are okay. And it's, it's an uplifting song as well as just being a bot. <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah, that's why I was like, it's just something that I always turn to when I'm worried or stressed out. Nice. Definitely the whole uplifting aspect of it. Cause even in the context of like, in the context of with fear, I get the feeling like it's something, when I first heard it, it was something to be played when you're feeling fear. Mm. You know, when you're feeling things need to be adjusted to, you know, yeah, that's that's something that you, you know, slap on just to make things feel okay. So yeah, I, de I definitely got that when you played it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Essan, that track as well, I, well, I say that track, it was, it was a live session actually that you sent yeah. me, which I think, relates a lot to, to kind of what imaginary millions do um, yeah, definitely. In, the, in their own work. Yeah. But how, how is that something that relates to, to art and fear for you? Well, it was interesting because of course I was, I was searching for a song today. I was thinking about, you know, art, fear, and like how of course, and I remember my friend sharing me this and I was just thinking, of course, you know, live sessions, there's so much 
entangled in that you know there's so many worries and fears entangled in that so that's mainly the reason why I picked that one like in, there's so many things to worry about with 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 live sessions and like so that's the main reason I picked that also but also the it was just the feel of the song I think as well the feel of it like the mm. raw kind of sound of it unhinged yeah unfiltered yeah. a bit yeah yeah exactly that it was yeah listening listening to it again I was like yeah the raw sound of it and you know it in in its own sense is kind of speaking on I feel for me kind of speaking on fear and other aspects of that and the, the lyrics and how that intertwined with it yeah definitely so yeah yeah I'm the last track that I played was um, was actually a track that um, that came out on one of one of my my recent projects, um, and it is made with a mentor of mine who takes the lead in the in the vocals. And um, the, the the song was actually his song. Um, and uh, what happened is the the reason why this relates to to fear for me is. Um, I guess because there was an element of removing fear uh, in the process, and uh, it was it was a moment where I listened to the, the song, and I just had to, I kind of had to get out what was on my on my heart, mm-hmm. um, and so I put down the second verse. So yeah, I think we very interesting choices for art and fear. Um, taking that into consideration, having listened to those, I want to have uh, a little bit of a discussion first, just on imaginary millions. Maybe you can introduce imaginary millions and what it is you do. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Rob, you want to go? Yeah, um, really enjoy. Like imaginary millions. Um, from the start, the the hashtag we had was always what's possible from here. So the the idea behind it, so very plainly what it's been for the last two and a half years is until until a lockdown, um, once a month in the basement of the book club, we set up a live band, four or five players. They play pretty much straight for an, an hour and a half, two hours. And we have two mics at the front, which are always on. And uh, after we intro the night and set the house rules, um, there is then no sign-up sheet and anyone can, and the band just keeps playing and either someone in the audience, a poet, a rapper, a singer, a dancer will feel moved by what's happening on stage or what's, ha- what's just happened on stage and they'll step forward to the mic. And they might even either take what the band's giving them and then move with it, or they might you know, kind of direct the band a little bit and the band then shifts to, to move with the performer. And it's just dance for, for like an hour and a half, two hours. Um, yeah, and what happens, Joy? How would you describe what, what actually happens in that, in that time? I mean, I guess the whole thing really is kind of like an exercise in fear. <laughs> um, <laughs> like no two nights are the same and nothing is predictable. Um, so you can't really have any expectations of what's going to happen. Um, and so I guess there's a lot of holding space for people. Um, and there's a lot of 
yeah, seeing what's possible from here. Everyone kind of comes forward to the to the stage and brings what's on their heart. And sometimes I'm sure it's not what they're expecting even to give or what they're expecting to go up and say or do. But, you know, it's what's necessary to feed the environment and everyone just builds off one another. Um, but yeah, it's really about keeping each other safe and just, yeah, listening. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I, I, um, I, feel, I feel like I have been to an Imaginary Millions night, but I, because I'm sure I was like, I've been to a, a jam night and it was in the Shoreditch Oxton area on a Sunday. Uh, that this fits the bill, but I can't remember whether <laughs> exactly it was one. Um, but definitely things that are, you know, more freeform, um, open mic or jam sessions are definitely an exercise in fear. Um, mm. And I found that myself, you know, it's it's part of the exercise to, to kind of put yourself out of your comfort zone if you need to, um, within a safe space, a place where you're able to explore ideas um, freely. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, kind of off of that, I'm, I'm wondering what, what fear means to you and whether you feel like fear in general is necessary. Hmm. Um, I guess yes and no, like fear can be necessary in the sense of keeping you out of potentially dangerous situations, um, if we you know, bring it down to the base. But ultimately, a lot of the time when we are fearful, um, there's not really any reason to be or need to be. And I think we realize this after the fact, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're afraid of something and then it actually happens or you actually do it and then you're like, oh, that was fun. Well, that wasn't mm. so bad, you know? Um, and sometimes it is just there to kind of throw you off a bit. Um, but yeah, I guess without fear, you wouldn't have things like courage or, you know, the gumption to, to go forward and do that. And so I think it's important to have fear there, but it's not always important to be afraid. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's definitely a quotable there. That's <laughs> joy. <laughs> I am I am nearly every single before nearly every single imaginary millions I am um, I, don't, I don't know if the word is fearful but certainly there's the question that's always there which is how are we going to do this um, I don't know if this is true this might be apocryphal but apparently even still Nick Cave um, will stand on the side of the stage before he's about to go on, like just a wreck. Mm. And then the the steps he takes from the side of the stage onto the stage, he transforms into Nick Cave and, some, and something becomes him. And he becomes Nick Cave mm -hmm. because of that walk. And my senses as well, I, 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 I identify that with that as well. Like I play three notes on the keyboard and we start the night and we're in. And equally, I've seen the journey that people take, and I think it's sometimes an unbelievably long walk from the chair to the microphone. But as soon as they make the decision to get up and go to the microphone, um, they become something. Um, 
and I can think of like audience members, like uh, one of our, who is now a regular part, or she's becoming forever, but someone who was just an audience member, uh, Marena, in the, in the period that she's been coming to Imaginary Millions, um, she started singing more, improvising singing, reading out poetry, which she'd never done, and now recently started speaking much more deeply about her identity as a, as a married woman. And so that's over the space of over these two and a half years. Um, and so the fear isn't just there, the fear about performing, but it's the fear of, of actually becoming yourself mm. and actually, and, and actually, and I, now that I say that, I think that's, that's what imaginary millions has been for me over these last two and a half years is actually the fear of actually showing up as myself and being willing to play as myself and then being accepted, which is, I think that that's at the core of, of everything. Is there a space where I can arrive, show exactly who I am at the level that I am mm. and, and, and for that to be celebrated? Mm. Mm. Yeah. I like that. There's, there's a, a quote that I like, which is be celebrated, not tolerated. Mm. Mm. And that, that fits com like completely into that. Um, yeah. You know, we all we all would love to be in a place where we are, you know, loved and accepted and free to be our ourselves uh, in our truest form. So you know, creating those moments, I think, is is valuable. Yeah. And and even you know, taking fear into consideration, I've definitely in my time as a performer, you know, there's not really a time that I get on stage and there's no fear. Mm. Um, sometimes I'm not fearful the week before. Maybe I'm not fearful the day before, mm -hmm. but a couple of hours before, all of a sudden my stomach turns. Mm -hmm. Like, ah, oh, I'm actually going to do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm actually going to go on stage. Yeah. And I might need, you know, to do some breathing exercises, I might need to do whatever. I need to take a minute. I need to do some warm ups, and then once we're on stage, that's it. You know that yeah. fear transforms into adrenaline and a drive and a passion to to just express and um, you know fully be yourself on that stage. You know, indulge in the music. Yeah. Mm. So Indy, for you, when you're when you have those moments beforehand, like the hours beforehand, mm. what is the worst thing that could happen? Like what 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 is that fear for? Uh, the worst thing that could happen. Yes, I, I guess over time, I haven't really had the worst thing happen to me yeah. and so yeah. it's become more and more irrational um, <laughs> right. yeah. i guess you know you could do a bad performance um but even then there's there's something in the fact that you got up and you performed or you knew it wasn't going great but you finished yeah. um so i think there's there's always something kind of to be gained um, from actually kind of pushing through that fear. I'm not sure what the worst thing that could happen is. Yeah. Um, I guess if, if the goal is to be accepted, um, 
is to be celebrated. I guess the worst thing that could happen is rejection. Yeah. Um, for the crowds to boo um, mm. or, you know, completely reject you. You're an off, 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 I guess. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that's the worst that could happen. What is it for you? Well, for me, in these situations, it's always if I feel like I've underrepresented myself, mm. like the worst feeling is, you know, like you've performed it backstage a bunch of times, you've performed it in rehearsal a bunch of times and you've absolutely killed it. You know this stuff like the back of your hand and then you go out there and under deliver or bomb. I think regardless of who's telling me afterwards, like that was great and it was fine. If I feel like I've not met the standard that I can, that's ultimately what is going to stress me out <laughs> in the end. Mm. I, think, I think that's one thing for me as well. It's interesting because you, you mentioned, um, of course, people telling you that it's okay. And I think, I think for me, one thing of fear for me always is, um, you know, I'd perform something and either people think it's bad, but they don't tell you. Mm. And it's like, oh, no, that was great. Yeah, but in like... I think for, a thing for me is always thinking like a fear of what, what are people actually thinking? Are people just tolerating kind of like, oh yeah, we don't, we don't want to make them feel bad. They've, they've come up and shared this and like, but yeah, I think, I think, cause the thing I was, I was thinking about, it's interesting. I think in, in the context of fear, like fear, fear is almost, it's not that it's necessary, but it's almost inevitable. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. um, no matter how confident you are and how like well of things may have gone I think it's just there's always that element of like that we're stepping into the unknown and you know we, we never know how a thing a thing's going to work out and you know a piece of equipment may fail or something and something may happen I think just as as people you know we're just you know conscious kind of worrying you know so there, there's always going to be that element of it but yeah there's a um there's a really bit of interesting research that um, there's a social researcher called Brene Brown and um, Ooh, she's some, she, sorry. I love her podcast, Brene, mm. Brene Brown. Oh, cool. Quite interesting. Yeah. Quite interesting. So, I mean, so you're probably very familiar with it. Like, you know, she's, she's a very, she's someone who actually really likes control and she was in her research, she was trying to find examples of courage that didn't require vulnerability. Mm. And, she hit up so many different kinds of people. She hit up soldiers, teachers, firefighters, parents, um, spiritual leaders, like such a wide mix of people in the community. Um, just to find this one example of like, are any, are any of these people going into any of their situations going, I've got this. And, mm -hmm. she, and she didn't find a single example. So what she says now is that what, feels like vulnerability looks like courage and yeah. that's it and, and I, I like what you were saying Isan, before about you know is there ever a situation where we don't feel fear or don't feel vulnerable maybe, maybe I'm not sure if they're the same thing but I think they're definitely in the same in a similar Venn diagram you know there is a crossover there for us for us to grow in order for us to you know all our all our um, reptile um, senses are set up so that when we're standing open-hearted in front of a room, 
uh, our reptile senses are going to be going threat, threat, threat. You know, I'm opening myself up in front of a room of 50, 100, 200, 5,000 people. Your receptors are going to be sending everything to your brain going, whoa, hide, protect yourself. And as an artist, you're saying, no, now I'm going to speak, you know, and, I, and, that, and, and actually that, that grows you, that grows the audience, that grows, that grows everything. And it's that process of stepping over the threshold and overcoming that to actually to actually go no I'm this is my this is the muscle of an artist you mm-hmm. know to, to actually cross that barrier. Yeah, I think that that summed it up well. Is is the muscle of an artist, the muscle of a performer to to push through that to to use it. And then I, and then and then it is a muscle, right? Because the first times you get up, you might still protect yourself a little bit. Like I'm. I reckon, I can't think of any now, but I'm sure, Joy, you probably have some examples of people who you've seen blossom on stage who maybe have started out by being on stage but still protecting themselves even though they're in front of a crowd and like gradually opening up as they, as they get used to processing that muscle. Yeah, sometimes you can just see it in the, in the midst of a performance. Like it's not always they've performed <laughs> right. once, they've performed once and they've gone off stage and jumped back. But like sometimes you can see people get up and they're nervous and they like stumble or they ask you to like pull it back a bit um, or like maybe take it back to the beginning so they could start again. Mm-hmm. And then when they jump back in, it's like, okay, they've, they've opened up now. They've got past that first hurdle of nerves. And yeah, that's where the crowd is so important in like holding the space for you and like cheering you on and, you know, really being there in that space and that moment with you as well. Um, but yeah, we've seen that so many times. That's true. I love what you're saying, Joy. And I, I think like one of our house rules is we ask for the audience's beautiful attention, mm-hmm. um, which is also a dance. Like no one's, and the attention can be loud or quiet, but that the, any um, anything that the audience is giving is always in response to what's happening on stage. So whether it's loud, whether people are shouting and like, yeah, or whether they're completely quiet and attentive, um, we, we ask for the audience's beautiful attention. And that pays back in spades. Like if, if you're giving a performance and you can hear people talking in the back, then... If, you're, if your mind's already in a bit of a spiral, that's just going to feed it more. But if, you're, if people are there just wanting the best for you, I, don't, I can't think of a bigger gift that you as an, as an audience member can give. And that's what we try and create. And it's always a dance. You know, people are still talking and da-da-da, you know. And I'm not mad at that at all. But it's, um, we're constantly dancing with that of, of just like... And sometimes when someone quiet comes up, we're just like, hey, hold it down. Let's, you know, this is the first time for them on stage. Just, just give them all the attention. And they see that per- so sometimes we can get the whole crowd just quiet. And then that person, that voice starts just in that silence. And it, become, it can become a... And this is what you want from art. It can be transcendent and transformative for, for the person and for the audience. We heard this thing. And for them, I said this thing. Mm-hmm. Amazing to, to the, the beautiful attention. I really, I really enjoyed that phrase. Actually, it's so interesting. I mean, coming from 
uh, an acting uh, perspective on it. Uh. It's, it's, I mean, I think, I don't know, of course, and Barney, you, you, you understand this as well. Um, to have, like, of course, little distractions within the audience can be so, I mean, not, I wouldn't say off-putting, but it's just, like, knocking of yourself. Because, of course, from an acting perspective, you learn lines and it's, it's you've got to you know, say this at the right time and to have a distraction in the audience. It's, it's, it's interesting to, because it's almost some... Um, I'm trying to think how to connect this. Yeah, it's 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 very it's very um. I just really enjoyed that phrase. Sorry, I tend to do this. I, I tend to ramble a bit. <laughs> but um, I think because one question it kind of brought up for me is the of course the whole free form and, and removing limits and fear in the space. And I think of course audience participation is very much involved in that. And I think of course like for you. How important is it to, you know, re remove these limits from, from the performance space to from from the space to allow, you know, the, to allow to people to flourish and to allow them to almost become. I mean, to to become. Yeah. yeah. How, how important is that for you? I. Started. I came. I'm Australian. I came to London um, 11 years ago, and um, I more than anything. Uh, so I both host the night most nights and also play keys in the house band. Um, and as arriving in London, I had I had this incredible fixation on being accepted by the jazz crowd here, and so I started the jazz trio. Um, and I had no fun in it because I was trying so hard. And if you listen to any recordings, you just hear this kid bashing on the keys, um, asking, asking to be accepted. And no, nobody wants to hear that kind of neediness <laughs> being played out. Um, and then when I had my first son, Finn, in nine years ago, I, um, I thought, man, life's too short. I just, like, I've always been into funk music and hip-hop music. I, I thought I, I am happy if I, I'm happiest when I can just play the same loop over and over again and find the, the pocket in it. And so then I, I quit that first band and started my second band, which was Unexpected Guest, where we just did that. We just hit the funk pocket and just looped and just learned all these hip-hop beats. And, and it was, that went pretty well. I'm, I was pretty happy with what we were doing. But... In some ways, um, ultimately, really, in some ways, I've created imaginary millions for myself. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't have told you that when I started it, but that it's the place of ultimate acceptance, where actually, I am not the best pianist in London. You know, I, 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 I haven't, um, you know, put out a jazz record which is like being lauded or anything like that. But in some ways, in many ways, or in all ways, I don't need it anymore because. What's more important is actually creating a place for acceptance where, and sometimes it's funny, man, like sometimes I'll see, see things on the stage that I'm like, well, I didn't expect to see that, or I'm not sure if this is my thing, right? Like we've had people read out fan fiction on, sci-fi fan fiction on stage to a, <laughs> to a, to a, to a beat. And, um, and we're here for it, you know, and I had to go, wow, aren't people just the most fascinating, diverse people? And, and I'm sure that person who read fanfic out on the stage has never done that in front of an audience before. 
-hmm. And so we have that all the way to like people like Sophia Thakur or Selma Wadani or all, all these kinds of people who have done this a million times. Um, and we're, for the, we're there for the whole breadth of it, you know? And, and I, for me to accept myself fully, I also have to accept these people fully. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And sometimes that's, you know, like some guy getting on stage and he's got 500, 512 bars of his hottest stuff. And it's like, well, this has been going for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting, man, like that, that, that kind of balance of going, because as we say, no judgment, to actually hold that is actually, is actually our practice as well. Like I'm sure Joy and I have been sometimes, we'll just go, right, we really need to move on from this. Uh, but also going, he's come or this person's come and, and, and they've given their, their best or their, their, their thing. Um, you know, I come and give my thing and, and like, and I think that's the beauty of the night is, is just like the everythingness of it. Like we have, we have to accept the entire spectrum. You know, as I always say, you know, people always say like, if you they talk about like, um, within innovation, they talk about, well, if you're going to, if you're looking for genius, you also have to look for absolute on the other end of the scale, you know? And so we, we take all of that and, it, and it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful just seeing the diversity that arrives and, yeah. um, and, the, and the transcendent moments that, that come from that. Mm. And it's interesting you say that, the absolute like, diversity and, um, and just the difference because it's thinking like freeform and freeform art and like does that allow us to express ourselves and become ourselves better, would you say? Or, because of course there's that, there's that um, two sides of it. You have the free form and you have the more structured, like, you know, performing a piece of music or performing mm. a, that's, that's already been written, but you know, the whole space of an open mic and allowing you to come up and just whatever you want. I mean, the, for example, reading fan fiction to a beat, which sounds like the most amazing experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so do, do you, like, how do you think that, does that allow people to express themselves better and find themselves better? How, what do you think, like, yeah, the benefits to freeform or, yeah, I think it's the best way to put it. <laughs> no, that's a really good question. Joy, Joy, what do you think? Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, especially like the way that it is that I am like I've heard people come and bring a song that they've written that they've had in the bag before and have performed a certain way and then they'll bring it to the night and it will be completely different than how they had originally performed it or how they'd written it to sound so like obviously when this person was writing fan fiction I'm sure they weren't writing it with a beat in mind or anything like that and so I think this opens people up um, to how their creation could sound completely different um, to how they'd imagined it themselves. And then that can open them up to like maybe exploring how they might change their craft later or how they mm -hmm. might um, change how they start writing in future. They might have these um, beats in mind. I don't know, maybe someone's gone and written fan fiction play <laughs> that has music to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've had a few people that have performed uh, the same track more than once at a night and it's never been the same. Mm, it's always hit different. Yeah. Um, and I think 
that's what is opening people up to be themselves because you're never going to be the same person in the in the next moment as you were the moment before um and so i guess the music and the changing the ever-changingness of the event allows people to do that freely mm. i think that's so that's so interesting because even while, while he was saying that was the one thing that um popped out to me was the I can see like the reason that of course the whole of fear and art and why fear is so almost so intertwined in this because it's that that almost essence the lack of control because of course when you're creating something you kind of envision how it's going to be and you you almost envision because I mean in my experience I um I, I make music with a friend of mine um and we'll be there and we'll be making it. And I was like, oh, I heard it. And I like the way that's done. And kind of like accepting that um, change, of, uh, uh, for, for example. I mean, going on stage and, you know, maybe it didn't go in the way that I expected it to. And there's, of course, that fear, like that fear of it moving out of control. And this isn't how I presented it, which is, of course, another thing, you know, not presenting yourself properly. There's, yeah, there's the... Sorry, that's the thought that came to me while you were while you were speaking. But yeah, um, yeah, I think. Sorry, you going about? No, I was just. I I think it's um, one one thing that I was remembering is that kind of with the uh, the track that I sent and a lot of the the music I made at that time. Um, I had been making music for a few years. I had been writing lyrics. I had books and books of lyrics. Um, and by this point, I was kind of like done. And I was like, just let's just play the music and mm. turn the mic on. So a lot of the music I made at that time, even the recorded stuff was never written down. It was maybe put on a loop and we found the melody, you know. Mm. We just did something in the moment and caught that. Um, so, yeah. I think like there's room for all of it, right? Like um, musical showcases or, you know, like super rehearsed, whatever is, you know, is I, I'm, I love that as well. Uh, and I, I think what's with what's the, where, if, it, if there's a, if there's a niche or something that imaginary million serves, it's, um, it's just that aliveness of an ephemeral experience yeah. someone described someone described imaginary millions once as church comedy revolution <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i really which i still love i think that needs to go in a t-shirt or something because it, 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 it is it is transformative you know it is accepting and it's frequently transcendent and, uh, and like joy and i didn't create that that's created by everyone buying into each other on the night, mm. you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's... It, it's, it, that's phenomenal. And, like, my, my fa some of my favourite moments are when someone's on stage, like a poet might be on stage, and then one or two or three other people grab the mic and they start supporting that person with like vocals or they, they sing a hook around the poem, poem and just like find the space they find it yeah and it's it's just created and 
you, you're just on the edge of your seat going, this is happening and, and this will never happen again. And it's, it's that kind of, um, I live for that kind of ephemeral moment. And I guess every time somebody gets up, it's another attempt at that. Mm. And, each one, and each one is different. Sometimes it's um, angry, you know, and like there are some performance, yeah, I'm thinking of some performance that live inside of me. Some are just angry. Some are just absolutely joyous. Uh, some are the, the biggest grieving. Um, some are just funky, you know, like everyone just gets up and dance. Some are just like banging. And I, I you know, I could, I, could, I could tell you about all these performances, but of course, uh, they, they'll, mean, they'll mean nothing to you. But, they have, but, all those, but all those emotions come out. And, and when it hits the pocket like that, it hits an emotional pocket like that. Um, it, that's what Imaginary Millions is, is there for. And, and, and we're there every night, every time we, we do it. It's, it's there. To, the more everyone dives in and leans in together, the more of those pockets we find, you know. And, and, and I think the house rules were set up just to kind of create just a gentle border going, here's what we're about, here's where we're going towards. And then yeah. after two or three people get up at the start, people yeah, start getting it. Yeah. People start getting it. They go, "Oh, right. Okay. Here's what we. That's what we're here for." Mm. We don't do showcases. If, if anyone turns up with their with their CD, which they have done, and go, "Can I? Can I? You know, I've got my or PA list. on. Yeah, you can't put my PA on. It's like nah. But if, if you feel it, get up. Mm. You know, and 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 to their credit, some people some people will just leave, and other mm. people will go, oh, "Okay, I'll stick around." And then they do do that, and they go, "That was dope." Mm. Yeah, kind of um, delving into to some of the, the things you explore in your night. I had a question which was where where that art um, that that art and also where that fear comes from within us. Um, is it the same place? Yeah. Do you feel like? Um, because oftentimes I find myself using that fear emotion then as a driver um, later on in my performance and and it, it no longer feels like fear after a while. That's interesting. It no longer feels like fear. It does become part of the process, doesn't it? Where it's like, yeah. ah, it's, it becomes it becomes a friend rather than an, an enemy. Mm. Yes, it's yes, it's still there, but it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm expecting you, and there you are. <laughs> mm. I was so I was wondering with the with the whole freestyling, um, you know, jamming situation. Uh, a lot of the times, I find myself listening to music, I catch a groove and I can't help but like tap a rhythm. Yeah. I like, I'm a person that taps rhythms all day. <laughs> um, I hear a groove and I tap a rhythm or I hum a melody. And sometimes I feel like it's almost a force that is within the body. Um, and something that's not that yes, it influences the mind, but also that starts within the body and that when that music turns on, something is working, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I also feel like fear can very much be a bodily experience, um, mm. if not more so, like as much as you can rationalize, you know, why you shouldn't be afraid that doesn't stop your hands from shaking or mm -hmm. you from sweating or you from feeling sick mm. or your body from like physically, 
physically being affected by fear, even though in your mind you're like, it's not that deep. I'm great at this. It's going to be amazing. Da, da, da. I've performed it. What's the worst that could happen? But then your mm. body is like mm-hmm. <laughs> in bits um, <laughs> because of fear. Um, and so sometimes even though you might be telling your body to do one thing and to, to tap one beat, you know, it might be working against you <laughs> sometimes. Mm. So, yeah, I think, I don't know. I feel like they do sometimes meet in the middle, mm. which is unfortunate. And I don't know. I don't know if this. I don't know if this is answering anything. Or can I tell you the time I was most afraid, and I had, I had real reason to be. <laughs> yeah, sure. I um I've been working with this uh, American rapper called Rashan Ahmad for a number of years. Um, we've done a, a few gigs together in London, and um, his manager calls me up. This was last year, start of last year saying um, Rashan lives in Santa Fe in New Mexico. So um, he, called, he called me up, his manager called me up uh, from Paris and said, Rob, can you put a band together for Rashan? Um, it has to be a kind of a jazzy band because we're playing a jazz festival and the booker of all the jazz festivals uh, for the season in Europe is going to be at that gig. So it has, this has to work. And we had two gigs booked, one in uh, Marseille and one in Lyon. So there were one night after the other. Uh, and the Lyon gig, the second gig, was the one where the, the jazz booker was going to be. So um, I couldn't get my first stringers, uh, the band that, that I really wanted. But I really wanted to play for, um, I really wanted to do this gig with Rashan. And, and this was interesting, man, that it was my ego was leading here. Where, and I think there might be a question or you think of, well, I'll tell this story, think about ego and fear in the relationship because I think there is a relationship there mm. versus love. And um, but, so my ego is definitely a play going, I want to be the guy who kills this gig and who like, who just, you know, who just does it. And so for some of the instruments, I was now to the third line because I had to put a band together in two days and I just couldn't find the people that I wanted. But at the, at the, I should have just called, but then I said, I can't put my band together because I knew he could find someone else in France because he's so connected there. Um, but no, I had, I had to do it. So finally I put my, mm-hmm. I, I put, I string my band together. Anyway, so Rashan flies to London on the, on the first, so we're together for three days. The first day Rashan flies to London and we do rehearsals. And it's fine, but it's not grooving. It's not picking up. It's not like, it hasn't, it's not gelling. And it's no, and it was no one's fault. No one was playing bad or anything like that. It just wasn't gelling. And then, um, so then we fly over to Marseille, and we do the the gig. And holy cow, it's bad. Like we we we're doing it, and it's like, and I know Rashan well, and I could tell that he's he just can't find his groove. I know what it looks like when he flies, and he wasn't flying. He couldn't jump off the the beat that was happening. And I, dude, I walked to the the manager at the end of the night at the back of the club, and he's and he's just like, he didn't, he almost didn't have to tell me. He was like, this and this and this is just isn't working. Mm. We now have twenty four hours, <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is his client, you know, this is his client, and this is and this is his his here with Rashad Ben's Rashad's European manager. 
Mm. And uh, we, we pull into Lyon and everyone could feel the vibe isn't, isn't there. And I just felt so bad because I brought everyone into this. It's, this is my fault. You know, this, this is not anyone else's fault. This is my fault because of what I wanted to achieve. Mm. And um, I remember pulling into the hotel and I said, well, guys, we're going to have a band meeting at two o'clock before we go to sound check. And I went to, at 12 o'clock, I went into the, the shower and I, I probably had the biggest, one of the biggest cries of my life because I'm like, I'm here. And I'm just terrified, man. Like, I, I put this together and this is not working. And um, I had a huge, huge cry because what else? And I knew what I knew about it, and this is important, I think, what I knew about it is that if I didn't have that cry, I would be stuck. I was so ashamed and whatever. And so I had a huge cry because I thought, unless you let your emotion out, you're, you're going to be stuck in that emotion. And so I knew that. So I cried as hard as I could just to get it out and then to find out, well, what's next? <laughs> what's after that emotion? Because there has to be something after it. It's not going to go on forever. What's after that emotion? So I did that and then I met with Rashan and I said, I've got a few ideas. And at two o'clock, we sat down with the band and I said, look, Musically, it's not gelling. It's not coming together. But what we, we can do is be more together as human beings. Like we don't have to be scared on stage. But let's really come together as human beings and really clock each other. So I got each band member to sit opposite each other and just look into each other's eyes for two minutes. And then we swapped another two minutes. We swapped another two minutes. Yeah. And then um, Rashad had a few notes. And then we did sound check. And I would say we got away with it. You know, we had a really joyous gig and it wasn't the band. It wasn't the right band. We didn't get asked again, but sure enough, Rashan got booked in, in France and we weren't the band for him. So he got all these other band members and, yeah. you know, that was fine. I accepted that. That was absolutely what should happen. But we, we did a joyous gig and, you know, we had a lot of fun and we were able to connect. And it was, that was such a huge lesson for me um, that, um, there is something about, it's great getting up out of love and, and freestyling, but there are lot, there's also times for preparation, you know, that if you love, that if you love something that you've prepared yourself as if you're an artist who's been doing it for a while to, to know how to prepare yourself, um, to do it from love and not from ego. Mm. So I don't know there, there was, there, I've, I, there, that, that's a moment or those, those, that kind of that 24 hours is a moment that I draw from constantly is like, I ask, how much am I freestyling because I am because I'm egotistical or how much am I freestyling because I'm doing it out of love and I'm, I've done my work. I'm, I know I'm prepared. And, and, and it's, I think that's a, that's a constant dance for me. Mm. There you go. That's a good long story. It, kind of, it came to a really, a, a really good, uh, to a good point there. Um, of just that. Yeah. When you're, and not to say that there is a right way to freestyle or to, no, to be free, no. but um, whenever you are being free, you know, in, in your truest form, it's out of love. Um, especially when you do so with art, uh, with music. Um, it's, it's out of love of the music, out of love for yourself, enough love for yourself that you can let out those emotions and ask yourself what's next, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really powerful. Uh, if there if there was one thing, so that's this is mainly for Rob and Joy, but also SN you can answer as well. I think. Um, let's say if there's 
one thing you would advise someone, think of a younger you, what would you advise them to do with their fear? Uh, breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. It's not that deep. <laughs> um, oh gosh, yeah. For me, I'm someone who struggles a lot with with fear and anxiety uh, and just worry generally for the things that I can't control, um, which of which there are many. <laughs> so yeah, I think. I think ugh, it's annoying because it's, I guess it's one thing that I've been told since I was young. I remember I must have been like six and my mum was like, don't take things so seriously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so it's definitely not something that I haven't already been told uh, as a younger me. But yeah, it's something that I'm still trying to keep in mind um, now. And I think, yeah, I think what I would tell myself and what probably still would not work <laughs> even if I did tell myself this um, is that you know we can do these things um, and we're in this place for a reason mm. um, and you know you wouldn't be put in this situation or you wouldn't be stepping up to this plate if you couldn't do it well mm. um, and if you don't do it well there's something in that or there's something to learn from that or there's something that will help you grow um, as a result. Mm. And, you know, I'm also trying to find a way to be okay with that, mm. Mm. that um, the growth can be just as good as, you know, knocking it out of the park. <laughs> um, and I, I don't think I believe believe that yet myself but yeah I think that's something important to consider is that mm. yeah I feel like even from Rob's story you know when when it didn't quite go how you'd planned and you know that was some of the scariest moments that you've been through but I'm sure you can look back on those now and see how it might have affected how you come to the table now or how yeah. you come to the stage now um, or how it might have even affected that last performance that you guys did um, where it did go well. And so, yeah, you know, I can definitely think of a few times where I've done things and I've been really upset about how it went. Mm. Um, but then, you know, I can also think of times where that has spurred me on to actually be courageous and do things and those have turned out well um or to put myself into spaces that might not be my comfort zone um and then I can still yeah get something or get a great experience or great memory out of those as well so yeah basically it's not that deep and it will be fine <laughs> I love what you said Joy I love your what did you say could 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 the growth be as good as knocking it out of the park Mm. Isn't, that, isn't that like, wasn't that a Phil Jackson thing, the basketball coach? He told his players that he told them to, after they finished a game, the, the crowd shouldn't be able to judge from how the players were, whether they had won or lost. That they, yeah. that they always held themselves in the same way, which is we did the thing. We came mm -hmm. out and we did the thing. And I, I'm with Joy, man. Like, oh, 
Um, I, I spent my twenties in terror. Like I really, I really did so little. Um, I somehow I felt I had to be accepted or welcome to the, to the table and that I had to kind of, somehow I had to prove myself before I could be welcome, not realizing that everyone else is doing exactly the same thing. Mm. And I think that was a big thing for me. Like somehow, somehow I was, I always felt like unless I could do this thing right, or I knew what was the right thing to do, I wouldn't be accepted. And even though I look back now and I go, everyone around me was just cheering me on. <laughs> and I, I think, um, If I had to give myself a message, I would say get in a community um, and just and, and keep turning up. I think, that, I think that would be keep turning up. I think that's something I would say, keep turning up within a community. Mm. I think that would have gotten me through a whole bunch of stuff. Me on my own and thinking I had to do it on my own was one of the biggest and still is joy. <laughs> one, of the, one of the biggest um, things that holds me back is like mm. thinking, oh, no, I have to do this on my own because no, no one will give me anything unless I can give them something. But actually, there's so many people out there who are, who just want to see other people succeed, mm-hmm. and like, and I'm one of those people, and so and and so, and I'm surrounded by those people, uh, and so I think if I told myself get into the community you want to be in and just turn up and, you know, wash the floors or whatever you need to do, but just keep turning up and and you'll find your way. Mm. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, yeah, I think they're really really good points. I think. Probably if I had anything to tell my younger self, it would, in short, probably just be to challenge yourself, you know, um, to lean into those fears. Sometimes it's good for you. Um, you know, you can work through them. Um, and, and all the times that you you do push yourself a little bit, the feeling that you get, the, the accomplishment, mm-hmm. um, even if everything doesn't everything might not be okay but the fact that you did it is in itself um a great achievement there's a big thing in that um it's separating and maybe this is another thing i might tell myself is separating the intention from the outcome Mm -hmm. all you can do is set your intention and prepare and then do the damn thing and if you're attached to what the outcome is you're done for (laughs) (laughs) That, and I think that's, that's, that's the biggest, that's the ego, right? The ego is your attachment to the outcome. Um, and, the, and I think when I was younger, I, know I couldn't differentiate between those two and not understanding that as long as there was the intention there and I did whatever preparation I had done, that was, and I turned up, that was all you can ask for. And that the outcome is what the outcome is. Um, there, there's, there's an amazing, if you know the, the book, the, um, the Artist's Way, which is a kind of an artist recovery program in a book form by Julia Cameron, which is phenomenal. It's a 12 week program. Like it's a 12, it's a 12 step program for artists. And um, as with all 12 step programs, the idea of God is very prevalent in there and that God is, is ultimately the, the ultimate creative force. And um, one thing she says in the book is you're responsible for the quantity, but God is responsible for the quality. So what that, what that says is, is your only job is to keep turning up. That's your only job in this is to keep turning up. And, and, and sometimes it's the output will be what you think is good. And sometimes the output will be what you think is bad. And actually that's just your own ego going, it should be something. But actually yeah. your only job as an artist is just to keep turning up. 
facts. Yeah, that's real. <laughs> just keep turning up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such a great message that 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 you said. Um, I mean, even thinking about myself and like what I would try and say to myself, and and listening to what you guys have been saying, it's really interesting. The thought that you need to, a thought that came to me was you really need to be able to love what you're able to give. Um, mm. in that moment, you know. And of course, separate from the ego, not look at the outcomes. Don't. I think a whole big thing, of course, is like comparing yourself to others and what you're able to give in comparison to them. No, but love what you're mm-hmm. able to give. Where at your stage you're at, I think would be. I think a, a piece of advice that I would definitely try and give to myself. Um, I think kind of ties in. Yeah, that's unbelievably great. Love what you're able mm-hmm. to give. That's that's unbelievably good. I'm going to get a tattoo. <laughs> that's really, that's, that's superb. Love what you're mm-hmm. able to give. So many quotes. Yeah, I know, quotables on quotables. Quite a few ones today. But yeah, I mean, um, I think we are wrapping up. Are there any socials that you guys want to shout out or any, you know, stuff that you're working on you want to shout out to... To the, to the audience? Yeah, I noticed we didn't we didn't do a proper introduction. So maybe you want to introduce yourselves and, <laughs> uh, and drop the socials in after you after you, Joy. Oh, okay. Let's start. Um, my name is Joy. Uh, socials. You can find me at Joy Woman J O Y W A R M A N um, on Instagram and Twitter. And then obviously, Rob and I are from Imaginary Millions. And that's Imaginary Millions on socials. And yeah, aside from these things, I am a project manager at Secretly Group, which is a record label. And I also host a radio show on Reform Radio called Melatoire, which is M-E-L-A-T-R-O-I-S on socials. Um, but yeah, was, that's enough plugging. <laughs> that's enough plugging, I reckon. Never could do too much plugging. <laughs> uh, I am. Uh, I go by on stage as Rob Major. Um, you can find me at the Rob Major on Instagram. Uh, yeah, at Imaginary Millions on Instagram. That's that's the main thing that's going on. Um, it's been interested in COVID time. We've only done one, one gig recently, so our monthly night is kind of on um, on hold. Um, there are a few things coming up, though. Uh, there'll be at least, I would say, two more Imaginary Millions uh, for the rest of this year, uh, we hope. So, yeah, follow us on that, and maybe some other, other little treats might be happening. Um, and then, yeah, you can find me on Twitter as well as Rob Grundle, which is my, my serious side. Uh, and I'm, I'm also a, uh, a leadership coach and um, I just find all the crossover between artistry and business and how people look after other people, it's all, it's all the same thing. I just love bringing rooms together. Mm. That's, my, that's my jam. And Rob has a great mailing list oh, situation. Yeah. Thanks, Joy. Thank you. See, I'm terrible. Um, I, <laughs> If you go to my website, uh, robgrundle.com, you can sign up to my weekly mailer called um, The Letting Go. And um, in it, I, every week I let go of something. I, I, I explore what I let go in that week or what I'm beginning to let go of. Um, and um, the times that we've had recently um, have been phenomenal. 
<laughs> and also I'm, I'm leaving London uh, in, in May next year. And so there's a huge letting goes as part of that as well. Um, so if you want to follow me on that journey, um, sign up for that. Yeah, I think it's been really great. I just want to thank you again for, for coming on, having a conversation with us. It was really insightful. Um, and yeah, it's just, I, I've kind of wanted to have this conversation since uh, seeing you do the pizza and pitches. So <laughs> if, finally, finally. And I, we're very much looking forward to uh, Imaginary Millions coming up. Um, SN. SN is on the list. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to catch one of those. Thank you so much, guys. It's been an absolutely amazing conversation. Very insightful, inspiring. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having us. Thanks for asking us. Yeah, it's been so great. I've, I've received so much from us as well. So thanks for putting this on and being on the service people. Thank you very much for listening. All the relevant links can be found in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcast app of choice.